Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You stand with me if you would, please. Tonight we're going to continue our series on angels, demons, and devils. So we'll be back tonight having baptismal service. And uh, tonight we are going to uh, conclude that, hopefully. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know what? I think he's going to continue what he started last week. I think he is. Take your Bible. We're going to go to the Old Testament. This is a minor prophet. This is the book of Micah. And this is the verse we started with last week. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. And uh, I'd like for you to read it with me. We're going to read it twice. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So look at the screens. Let's read it, read it together, and let's uh, do it with some, uh, some passion here. Here we go. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, now look at this line. What does the Lord require of you? Do you think that that line is in there for a purpose? Does the Lord require some things from us? I believe in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on prophets of old to write the, the word that we know as Scripture. And I really am profoundly in agreement with you that the Lord does require something from our life and our hands and our actions, right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Let me say something worthwhile. And God, let your word dwell richly in our hearts and our minds and our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. In 1988, there was a prominent company that was doing about $877 million in sales. $877 million in sales. Now, to me, that's a lot of money, $877 million. But they developed an ad campaign that vaulted them in the next 10 years to $9.2 billion. 10 years from $877 million to $9.2 billion. That's a huge jump any way you look at it. And the campaign revolved around only three words, three small words, just do it. Say that with me, just do it. Three small words took them from $877 million to $9.2 billion in 10 years. For some reason, that resonated with our culture. It moved people from apathy, got them involved. For some reason, it motivated the procrastinators to action. We began to do some exercising, or some people did. They got involved. They participated. They began to move in sports, get into shape, take initiative. Just... Do it. Do you realize here, I think the Lord is telling us there are some things I require of you to do. And we know this, the mind and the mandate of God comes from heaven, but the action and the application is done on the earth. We're instructed to pray that way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in 
heaven. So we're instructed that we are going to come together with the agreement of heaven and earth together because we have dominion and authority on this earth. So I want to revisit something we said last week. We're not talking about salvation here. How many of you know you cannot work for your salvation? Your salvation comes through Jesus Christ, what he did at the cross, shedding his blood, dying, buried, resurrected on the third day. We believe that. You cannot be good enough, moral enough, rich enough, smart enough to save yourself. You're solely at the dependence of Jesus Christ, what he did. It's only by the sacrifice of Jesus. Can I hear an amen? We believe in him. We are given a born-again experience by the Spirit of God. But once we're saved... We can labor in this kingdom and we can work in this kingdom. Matter of fact, the Bible says you have a very special part in this kingdom. Do you realize you're a partner with God? Do you know that you're a co-laborer with the Lord? Let me give you a verse. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 1. We then, Paul is writing, we then as workers together with him... Now say that with me, as workers together with him, now let's all say it, as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So God gives us grace. What do we do with that grace? We put that grace into action. So what Paul is doing, he says, we are workers together with him. The him is Jesus Christ. Now the way I know that is if I go back to chapter 5, how many of you have heard this line, for you are ambassadors for Christ? Have you ever heard that? So you're an ambassador for Christ. Well, what do you do? You're working with him and for him as an ambassador. So we're ambassadors with Christ. Other translations put this verse this way. We are God's co-workers. We are workers together with him. We are partners with God. Does God need a partner? Probably not, but he chose to have some. That's you. That's me. We are co-workers with God. We're working together with the Lord to build his kingdom, to do what he wants us to do. So therefore, we are putting this into action and the reference in chapter 5, we're his ambassadors. So therefore, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a merger of heaven and earth together and we put that into action on this earth. Now, sometimes we're in the danger of forgetting that we cannot do what God does. And God will not do what we should do. We cannot do what God does. But God will not do what we can do. You know, God saves us and then he puts us into action and then we respond by faith and we just go out. What do we do? We just do it. We, we do what we should do. We accomplish what we should accomplish. And action is one of the keys to your success, whether it's in relationships or business or marriage or in your company, your corporation, in your practice. It could be, you know, with uh, a friendship or any relationship. It's certainly true with your eternal destiny in heaven, right? Years ago, I, I was in high school. I was a senior. And uh, the new freshman class came in. And there was this young lady standing by her locker as I went down the hall. And she was standing there. And uh, th that's been a few years ago. And, and I walked up to this lady who was standing by the, uh, by the locker. And I'm fixing to embarrass her. <laughs> th this is not scripted. Pray for me when I get home. <laughs> I walk by the altar, and, and, and the altar, the, the locker. <laughs> Too much preacher in me. I walk by the locker, and uh, and and I introduce myself to her, and we. we well, she said she already knew me, but you know we didn't really know each other 
like I wanted to know her. And uh, so we, we began this conversation and, and we began to begin with a relationship. And uh, we began to date. And over about four years or so, we talked about getting married. And then we've been married about, what, 44 years this year, right? 44 years. But, but listen, it wasn't enough to just walk by and give her a glance. If I just walked by and given her a glance and I hadn't taken action, she might have married some other hairy-legged boy <laughs> and not been as extremely happy as she is now. Well, well, we'll see how that plays out later. <laughs> but you've got to take some action here. You just can't walk by and roll your eyes and expect something to happen. Listen, you've got to get involved. You've you got to take some initiative. Can I hear any man? And that's the way with, it is with business or your teaching or your practice or whatever you're doing. Your decision is to take action and respond and put the initiative of what you know into effect. And if we know that and we should do that, then we have to move accordingly, right? Take your Bible, 2 uh, Kings chapter 4, and uh, I'm going to give you a couple of verses here. We're going to comment it. This is Elisha the prophet. Last week we talked about Elijah. Now we're going a generation after this. Elijah the prophet, verse number 1 of chapter 4, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take away my my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what, do you, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. I want to give you four observations very quickly this morning. Number one, there's been a disappointment, a loss, and a death in this house. You know what life does? Life gives you some disappointments. Gives you some deaths, some challenges, some roads that are tough. And if we could uh, analyze this woman's heart, and the scripture doesn't give us a lot of uh, insight to where she's at, but I think we can find through the spirit what she's feeling. She's at a point where she's disappointed so much so she could have stopped, been stalemated, went back the other direction. She's at a point in her life that uh, certainly she could be losing ground here. Her faith is challenged. And the reason I know that, look at the line here. Elisha, you know that my husband feared the Lord. You know my husband was a good man. Here's a question. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. Why, when we're serving the Lord, do we go through challenges that sometimes we cannot explain? Have you been there? And some of you are there today, I know. And you say, God, here I am. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to live for you. I'm walking in your way. I, I'm trying to do my best, but this is happening to me. Why in the world am I going through this when I'm trying to live for you? You know, Carrie and I went through that with our oldest son, Nathan, who died at age 24. And I've shared this story many times, but for some of you, I think maybe you need to hear it one night when Nathan was so sick and he could barely breathe. Carrie had been taking care of him. I was trying to work, you know, doing the best I knew at the time. And uh, how many of you know you could always have done better? But she came to me and she said, Mike, I'm just exhausted physically and mentally and spiritually and I, I can't go another step. I've got to go to sleep. And can you go and take care of Nathan? And I went in there and I watched my son just heave for breath, just trying to stay alive and breathe and breathe. And, and uh, I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm not as holy as you are. 
sometimes I, I cop an attitude with God. Has anybody here ever copped an attitude with God? And that night, about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, I copped an attitude with God. And I said, God, why are we going through this? We're trying to live for you. We're trying to serve you. We're trying to do our best. may not be somebody else's best, but we're trying to do our best. And here my son is in this condition. He can't hardly breathe. I don't know if he's going to live. And, and so that night, you know, I'm struggling and I'm challenging God. And I'm looking at my son just barely breathing. I said, God, you could change this. I mean, you're, you're God. You're the miracle-working God. You're the healing God. And I said, Lord, you know, I love my son, and I want my son to live. And I said, I don't know why I'm going through this. And when I did that, the Lord spoke to me that night. And I want to tell you something. As you wrestle with God, as Jacob did many years ago, as you wrestle with God, God always has a word for you. I didn't hear a booming voice from heaven, but in my spirit, God spoke to me. When I was telling him, God, this is my son. I don't know if you know how I feel. And God spoke to me, and he said, Mike, I had a son. And when he said that to me, I broke. I got on my knees and I wept and I wept and I wept. And I had to say, God, you know how I feel. You know what I'm going through. This lady with these two boys, God knew how she felt. God knows how you feel today. Your heart may be breaking. You may be stretched in your challenge. But I am here to tell you, God knows exactly what you're going through today. Nothing is hid from him. He knows where you are today. And this woman is struggling with the question, you know, Elisha, my husband was a good man. He feared God. Why did he die? Can't answer it. Maybe in heaven we'll get some answers. But I'm convinced on this earth we don't get all the answers, do we? But this woman is challenged with her disappointment. Why do bad things happen to good people? Here's the second observation. There are re repercussions because the man died. I don't know, you know, uh, that culture, I mean, the, the, the women didn't always become the major breadwinners, right? I mean, they usually didn't have second jobs. They took care of the, the home and the house and the kids, and they made things, and they cooked, and they farmed and gardened, but the primary source of income was from who? It was from the man, and now her primary source of income is gone, and now she is struggling so much so that the creditors are coming after the boys to work for them to satisfy the debt. Listen, she's got a house payment and a chariot payment, and, and the First National Bank of Jerusalem has some uh, outstanding debts on her Jerusalem one card, right? And so she needs some help here. This woman has some issues here. The creditors are going to come for her boys and put them into servitude to, to pay off the debt. And sometimes when bad things happen and you go through those challenges, everything, the dynamics change. I mean, all of a sudden we can make the payment, now we can't. All of a sudden we were a happy home, now we're not. Uh, we were together, now we're not. And now the boys are going to have to go to the creditors to work off the debt. Elisha, I'm in, a, I'm in a bad place here. What do I do? And then Elisha says this, what do you have? You know, sometimes in our life, we, we, we tend to not realize what we have. We only see what we lost, but not what we have. So when he said that to her, third thing, she has to respond. So here's her response. 
And I want you to see this, and I see it in a little bit of a light that maybe I haven't seen before. This is what she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, I want you to catch the way she positioned her response. She positioned her response in the negative. She could have said, I have in my house a jar full of oil, but that's not what she said. She said, I have nothing in my house but a jar full of oil. Sometimes we get so negative that our negative response clouds our objective and our perspective of the things we're going through. Do you find that's true about yourself? Sometimes it is for me. You know, I, I look at the negative. I may have a thousand positives, but the negative just really stands out. I have nothing in the house but this jar of oil. And don't be guilty of minimizing what you have. I want to guarantee you, you got more than what you realize. Don't be guilty of minimizing what you have. You see, you can underestimate what God is doing for you, what God has done for you, and what God will do for you. So don't minimize it and don't underestimate what God can do for you. Because this is just the way God works. Moses, what do you have in your hand? Well, just got a stick, just a rod. Goodness gracious, you show up in Egypt with that rod. How many of you know things are shaking in Egypt? All I got is this rod. Throw it down, snakes. Lift it up. I mean, all kind of plagues happen. Go to the Red Sea. Stretch the rod out. Waters part. What do you got? Just a stick. Powerful stick. Powerful stick. God uses what you have. Samson, the Philistines are gathering around you. What's close? What could you use? The only thing I see is just a jawbone of an ass. How many of you know God can use asses? <laughs> it's scriptural. It's what I got. The Spirit of the Lord moved upon Samson, and when he finished... He said, I have killed a thousand Philistines. And you know what instrument he used? The jawbone of a donkey. The jawbone of an ass. What was close to him, what he could get his hand on, God used that. David, why aren't you using the armor of Saul? Why don't you use the weapons of Saul? Because that's not what I have. What I have, what I brought, is what God's going to use. I've got a sling. I'll pick up some rocks on the way. So God tends to use what you have. Don't minimize that. Don't dismiss that because what she had, this widow woman, God used. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging myself. I may preach to the back part here in a minute. So we don't want to settle for untapped potential. Our effort should be, God, can you use what I have? And her response was, Tending toward the negative, but God used what she had. Here is the fourth observation about this, is her assignment. See, the assignment is this. Verse 3, then he said, Elisha said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Don't gather just a few. When you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So here's the assignment. Lady, get the boys involved too. How many of you know this is a family affair here? Here's the assignment. Take what you have, this jar of oil. Now go out and borrow all the pots and the pans, the mop buckets and the pickled jars and, and, and the clay, you know, containers that you can find from your neighbors around the, 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 the city and, and bring them in, shut the door. How many of you know she had something to do? 
And the boys had something to do. Sometimes we're guilty of saying, God, you need to do something here. And God says, okay, I'll do something. You do something. I'm going to do this. You do that. This is what I require of you, lady. I require of you to go out with your boys and gather up all the vessels you can gather up. Be a part of the miracle process. Be a part of the miracle process. And the boys and her go out and gather up all the jars and the pots and the pans and the vessels that they can find. They come in and notice this. He said, come in and shut the door. I, I think sometimes when you get other people involved in the process and they don't see the miraculous power of God, they can actually discourage you from your process. Because they're saying things like this. I can't believe you believe that. I can't believe you're going to do that. I can't believe you're going to step out on faith like that. I remember when we were getting ready to build this complex here, this campus, and we were down in a smaller place, and it got uh, a little small for us. We couldn't really park all the cars to get everybody in in two services like we do today. But uh, we began to raise over a million dollars, and, and we come up here to the cow pasture. We're going to build a, a, a new campus. And I was amazed at people, and some of them that I was fairly close to come up and put their arm around me and kind of pat me on the back. And uh, just said, I can't believe y'all are getting ready to do that. I mean, you know that's going to cost a lot of money, and that's never been done here, and, you know, you're not even in town. And, and uh, sometimes it's good to get by yourself, shut the door. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now. Sometimes you just got to shut the door. Say, so stay out of this process. Just between me and God here. You may be a doubter, I'm a believer. Come on now. You may be a doubter, I'm a believer. And so the boys and their mom go out and they gather all the vessels. They come in and they shut the door. And she takes that only jar of oil she has. And she begins to pour it. And one vessel fills and the next one fills and the next one fills and the next one and the next one. The, the only reason the jar of oil quit pouring is because there was no more pots to fill. You see, there's a great lesson here. God has enough to fill your capacity. And the only reason God stops is because you don't have any more capacity. God will fill you as, as much as capacity as you have. So here they're pouring the oil. And the oil does not quit pouring until there's no more place for the oil. You see, they didn't quit pouring because there was no more oil. They quit pouring because there was no more place for the oil. Does that make sense to you? God is a God of capacity. God never runs out. You see, her assignment was to go out and just do it and see if we could go back and we could hear Elisha speak to her. This is what we would know. If we were on the sidelines and we knew this story, if she's halting, if she's in indecision, you know where we would be? We would be on the sidelines saying, just do it. It's going to work out for you. I know this looks cheesy, it looks crazy, but you've got to put some action to your faith. You see, her boys and her could have just said, ah, that's so crazy, we're not going to do it. But they did it. Just do it. Just do what the Lord said. You see, faith takes action. Faith without works is dead. So we have to put action to our faith. Let me give you another one. You know, what I've tried to do in this series is take the old and the new and put it together. How many of you know God operated that way in the Old Testament? How many of you know he works the same way under the New Covenant? 
He's the same way in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is teaching, and he is teaching great numbers of people. And in verse 1, it was the day that Jesus is by the lake of Galilee or the lake of Gennesaret, and people are crowding around him, and they're wanting to listen to him, and he's teaching them. And so he's going to borrow the boat of Peter to do the teaching. Now, Peter and the rest of the fishermen have already docked their boats. And they already got the nets out of their boats. And the Bible's very clear. They are mending and cleaning their nets because they've been fishing all night. And Jesus said, can I borrow your boat? So he takes the boat, gets in the bow of the ship. I'm sure the acoustics are better. He gets there by the edge of the water. The people are crowded around the bank, and he begins to teach them. And when he finishes teaching them, he looks at Peter. It's almost like, this is boat rental. I'm going to pay you back for renting your boat here. So he says, why don't you take your nets and go back out into the deep and cast your nets out for another catch? And Peter, <laughs> Peter is an expert fisherman. It's all he's done basically all of his life. His father was a fisherman. He's a fisherman. And so verse 4, when he had finished speaking, Simon why don't you go out to the deep water, let down the nets for the catch? Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. You're the rabbi, you're the teacher, we're the fisherman. You know about teaching, we know about fishing. We've been to all of our favorite spots. We've done everything we know to do. They're not biting, don't know where they are. So we would be wasting our time to go back out. But this is what Peter did. He said, but nevertheless, at your word... Because you have told us to do this, he said, we will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they went back out, they went to the deep, they let down their nets. They caught so many fish. The Bible says the nets should be breaking. The nets did not break. They filled their boat to capacity with fish, so much so the boat is setting so far down in the water, the water could have come over the sides. So they called all the other boats that were around them on the, on the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. And the other boats come, and they fill their boats to capacity. So all the boats are coming back into shore, not because there's no more fish to catch, but there's no more place to put the fish that they caught. You see, God didn't say, don't have any more fish. They said, we don't have any more capacity for fish. How many of you know, God would have filled a thousand boats, I think. You know why? He's the God of endless supply. Wow. So they come back and uh, their boats are filled with fish. But Peter could have, instead of saying, at your word, I will, he could have said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. I'm not going to go back out. I've already tried this. I've already done this. We already got our nets out of the boat. We're already cleaning our nets. I'm not going to go out and do this again. But nevertheless, what? At your word. You see, when you put the word with action, you have faith in action. Faith without works is dead. But if you have faith with works, it's alive, right? So Peter took the action to the word and got results. When you put action to the word, you get what? Results. Action on the word gets result. Outside of that, it's just head knowledge. A lot of people have head knowledge. But we got to have a faith that works to see results. Matter of fact, this is what happened. Heaven and earth met. The divine 
and the human effort got together. It is the awesome word of God and Peter and the fishermen's actions that got together to produce the miracle. It was the word of God from Elisha to the action of the woman and her sons that produced the miracle of the overflowing oil to solve the problem. Everybody here has problems. If you don't have any problems, would you please come up and touch me after service? Because we all got them. And if you think you don't have any, the day's not over. Monday starts tomorrow. But the question is, when those challenges and disappointments and when death and discouragement come, how are we going to respond to it? You see, I think even when we feel like we're discouraged on the earth, heaven has an answer. Do you believe that? So I'm looking for the answer to come from heaven, but I also realize I have to have some action on the earth to correspond with his mandate and his will, and I am applying this and seeing action on the earth to see the solution to my challenge and my problem. So what does the Lord require of you? So, so the question is, by the prophet, this is what God wants from you, but we cannot produce everything. We can only do what we can do, but God has to do what he only can do, right? So I think we're gathered here today because we just read about two accounts. In both accounts, the miracle happened by the combination of the divine and human effort. Now, human effort will not produce anything on your own. Can I hear an amen? amen. We have got to have the divine. We've got to have the word of God. We have to have God working for us and moving in us. But when we do, some marvelous things happen. So when Nike came up with this slogan, three words, how much did that guy get paid for the slogan, just do it? He got paid a ton of money because he took them from $877 million to $9.2 billion. How many of you think God can give you an increase? I mean, he can increase your marriage. He can increase your, your job. He can increase your spiritual growth. And whatever you're doing, I'm guaranteeing you God has more for you. How many of you believe God has more for you? I believe that with all my heart. I mean, I've been serving the Lord for a long, long time, and, and I still believe I can still grow. I was sharing with Carrie the other day, and I, and I heard this, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he was the most uh, profound, world-famous cellist in the world. And this guy, for years and years, was the number one cellist in all the world. And they said when he was like in his 70s, he still practiced every day, five hours a day. And someone said, you're the number one cellist in all the world and you've been that way for years. What are you doing at age 70-something still practicing five hours a day? And you know what his reply was? I think I'm getting better. <laughs> but how many of us get so far and we sit down on the jawbone of a donkey and uh, we don't go any further? Some of you just woke up when I said that. We, we get so far and we think, that's it. I can't go any further. I can't grow anymore. But that's not the case. So what do I have to do? i got to just believe his word. Amen. Moses, you're not over at 80. The most exciting part of your life is now just beginning. What do you got in your hand, Moses? Oh, I don't have much but a stick. Use the stick. 
Don't have much but a sling, David. Use the sling. Don't have much, Samson, but just the jawbone. Use the jawbone. Just use whatever God's given you. Jar of oil, use it. Fisherman's net, use it. But it will never be what it can be until you get a word from heaven. Amen. And when we get a word from heaven, heaven and earth meet together. And something absolutely marvelous happens in our marriages, our relationships, in our businesses, in our finance, in our family, in your spiritual life. When heaven and earth meet together. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.